0: Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsradio.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies, 1500 a.m. and 1039 FM HD 2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio.
1: Interfacing complete, please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ.
2: Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University Talking Technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schurz.
3: And I'm Jim Russ. Coming up on today's show, we're going to talk about some of the emerging tech trends for this year. Next generation Wi-Fi is on the way. We'll have an update on the Apple battery replacement program in food science. It's the history of cereal. And in Profiles in IT, Frank Green, one of the first African Americans to break the color barrier in Silicon Valley.
2: And of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in
4: your mailbox.
2: We got an email from Doug in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Dear Dr. Schurz, before I begin, be sure to say hi to Jim and also to Mr. Big Voice. Hi. If you can get his attention. <laughs> uh, he's,
3: Doug, he's already gone. That's he's right. out in the parking lot smoking again. Back
2: in the days, the old days, the hard drives were very expensive and only in the megabyte size. And then the and hard drive recording platters turned at low speeds, and they were relatively reliable. However, things changed. Magnetic surfaces changed. Sectors changed. The way we did it changed. All the hard drives changed. And uh, and now we have cloud storage. I would like to know whether you think we can use uh, hard drives to store data long-term. How long do you think the data would stay on the hard drive, and what? how reliable is it? Also, I'd like you to explain something. I've been, you know, something about how hard drives are specified. They have something called cylinders, heads and sectors, and LBA. And I took a uh, hard drive apart, and um, it and what I found inside of the hard drive did not really agree with those specifications, so I'm a little bit confused. Uh, uh, we really enjoy the show out here, and uh, it remains consistently great. Thanks, Doug in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Got him fooled. That's right. We just, well, you know, we, we, only, we try we only, our best. We only have to fool him an hour a week. See, there you that's, go. that's it. So it's not 24 7. It's only an hour a week. Well, um, Doug, let's go back to um, memory lane as we talk about hard drives. Memory lane. Of course, a hard drive is a, is a, is a disk uh, which has magnetic material on both surfaces, and it spins. And you actually have a head which reads the top surface and the bottom surface as it spins. So let's talk about a single disk that might be spinning so that would have two heads and two surfaces. And there is a cylinder, uh, There's a uh, the heads, if they're at any one particular location from the center, as the disc spins, those heads will traverse a circle. And that circle, as it's defined, is called the cylinder. At, along each of the circles, they break it up into arcs or different portions of the circle. They break up into what they call segments. And so you can specify the location on the hard drive by simply specifying the radius of the circle, which is called the cylinder, what the sector location on the cylinder, and whether you're operating with head one or head two. Now, actually, when they started building these hard drives, they started just stacking up the heads because because the way to build up the capacity to the hard drive was to stack more and more plattens on top of each other, so you'd have multiple spinning disks and multiple heads as they would build up. Now, over time, the magnetic... Storage density got higher, so they could store more on each platen, and they could actually have fewer, fewer and fewer heads. So, when you actually specified the location of a particular memory location on a hard drive, you'd specify the cylinder because if you'd have a, a bunch of platens stacked up, and you were out at a particular radius that had been that you had defined, when the head was at a certain location and the disk would spin if all the heads were at that same location and you'd stack all those circles on top of each other, it would would form a cylinder. That's why it was called a cylinder. Now, in the beginning, in the beginning, we're still in memory (laughs) lane, the disk controller was separate from the hard drive, and so you really had to give extreme detailed information about the physical storage mechanisms on the hard drive for the controller to control it. Then they got the great idea. They said, well, why don't we just put the drive controller into the hard drive. And so they came out with a new standard called IDE, integrated drive electronics. So the IDE drives had had everything built into it. And then over time what happened, the, um, the vendors decided that they would just arbitrarily determine, they would just arbitrarily say that this disk has so many cylinders, so, so many heads, so many sectors, and they would just give a specification that the computer would then use to access the hard drive. And then the internal hard drive controller would then translate that into whatever the actual physical characteristic was. And as the density of magnetic material increased, the vendors started having fewer and fewer fewer pe- uh, fewer and fewer disks. And so then the external specifications actually didn't match the internal specifications. So that's why you might have had a hard drive that said it had six heads. You take it apart and you only find three heads. But it actually acted like it has six heads mm-hmm. when it talked to the computer. Then they finally went to a new system where instead of actually locating it on the hard drive using the cylinder, the head, and the, um, and the sector, they went to basically logical block addressing, LBA, where, where you just basically – Every little section that you store on, every little sector you store on is a logical block, and the logical blocks are just numbered, LBA 0, LBA 1, LBA 2, and so on. And so they switched over to the LBA assignment, and then at that point, it just doesn't matter wh- what what head you're on, what cylinder you're on, you just let the internal drive electronics figure out where to locate that, that logical block address. And so they went to LBAs. So that's the... That's sort of the evolution of these uh, of these hard drives. Now, as far as how long you can you can actually store information on a hard drive, uh, the standard hard drive warranty is five years. Okay, so that kind of gives you a hint. Uh, and I'd say you could safely store material on a hard drive like six to eight years, eight to nine years. Now, if you disconnect. The hard drive from the computer so it's not spinning. So you're not going to be damaging the magnetic material. You could you could sit and you could you could store the hard drive and you wouldn't have any damage to the heart to the magnetic material. But the danger is that the the bearings may freeze up because it's it can't spin. So if it sits there and doesn't doesn't move for a long time, the hard drive may spin up. So if you're gonna store the hard drive in a dormant state it makes sense you know every year or so just to spin it up so it doesn't um, so it doesn't uh, so it doesn't freeze up the bearings right. could freeze the motor could freeze it's just like if you got a car in your it in the garage every you year you
3: turn it on every year, you,
2: every year you want you want to turn it on you also want to keep the temperature between 50 and 110 degrees in in a, in a safe zone because these you know if you start getting outside of those zones it it may damage the the bearings so I don't know that it's really viewed as permanent, but, but you can certainly store it for a long time. now. But also remember, if you're storing critical data on a hard drive and it's only on one hard drive, you really don't have a backup because that's it's only on one place. So mm-hmm. if, you, if, you're, if you've got critical data you want to store, I recommend you back it up on two drives. And okay. then you and then you maintain those drives at the same time. Okay. Okay, there you go. Great there, question. There's a little memory lane for you. We got an email from Twee in Ohio. Uh oh. Oh yeah, it's this is it's another another one of those Ohio gang. Dear Doc and Jim, I use Facebook quite a bit. And my friends make so many posts that sometimes they just become annoying. Especially when they're on vacation. Mm-hmm. Is there any way I could temporarily block someone's posts until they cool down? <laughs> <laughs> Love the podcast. You're in Ohio. Twee. Well, this is a problem. You know, sometimes people go on vacation and they just As they every post five everything. Seconds. Yeah, they post a picture of them standing at the beach, the restaurant, the latest hors d'oeuvre that they got. And their shoes. Yeah, their shoes. It's just too much. Mm-hmm. And, and so Facebook recently came out with something called snooze. This is actually a pretty neat feature. It lets you hide somebody from your newsfeed for thirty days. I saw
3: this the other day.
2: Yes. What you do, so what you do, and the nice thing is your friend doesn't know you've snoozed them. Mm-hmm. It's you know they have no idea. So then what you do is when they when you get a post from when you get the thirteenth post from that person standing on the beach, you can basically <laughs> click on that post. You know, you, there are three little dots in the upper right-hand corner. Click on those dots, and there will be an option that says snooze so-and-so, which is their name, for 30 days, and just click on that. That post will vanish, and you won't see that person for 30 days.
3: Can you unsnooze them before yes, you the 30 can. days is yeah, up? You, you, can okay. go,
2: you can go to their profile, and then you can clap on the snoozed settings, and you can unsnooze them. Okay. You're also notified... Just before the thirty days are up, and you could decide either to let the snooze expire or you could
3: extend. it. So if it. they're on sabbatical for more than a month, you might want to s- un- snooze them for a while. You could
2: snooze them again, and they they have no idea that you're doing it. So that was a very nice, uh, very nice email tweet, and I'm glad that you're taking care of your friends and not, you know, not making them mad at you right, by, sure. by just by just you know unfriending, unfriending them. them.
3: Yeah, because they can figure that one out, and they may not friend you again.
2: That's right. So you're much better off to snooze them. We got an email from Helen in Maryland. Dear Tech Talk, I've always wanted to know how to buy a surge protector. Wow, that's really a
3: yeah, that's a, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I
2: wake up in the a... morning. I said, how do I buy a surge
3: protector? Oh, you know, this is, man. Mo- most people don't. What are the mo- specs? Mo- and... Most people
2: don't dream about that. What do all those specs? You wake mean? up in a
3: sweat in the middle that's of the night. Right.
2: How can I so- select one to protect my computer? Love the show, Helen in Maryland. Well, Helen, surge protectors are actually pretty important if you've got some delicate electronics hooked to your. Uh, Hooked to the plug at home, because if you'd get, say, a lightning surge, or you could get some power surges in the house, it could actually damage your electronics. So surge protectors have electronics that are built to help prevent power surges from damaging connected devices. Now, common power strips and surge protectors look similar, but power strips don't have that uh, internal protection electronics. Search protector is a little bit more expensive. For example, you might buy $20 for a search protector while a similar-looking power strip would only be $10. Okay, when shopping for a search protector, make certain to look for the word search protection or protection or suppression. They're often rated by the amount of energy that they can absorb, and the units of energy are joules. Yeah. So you're likely to see something on the search protector that says, will protect you up to 3,900 joules. And that means it, it can take that much power, it can absorb that much power. So when you're looking at a surge protector, say if you've if you got a rating between 1,000 and 2,000 joules, that would typically be good enough for small electronics. If you've got networking gear or um, like networking gear, smartphones, printers, etc. If you've got home theater equipment, some really expensive stuff, you might want to get a surge protector that protects you for more than 2,000 joules. Now, these surge protectors all have a little light that says protected because, you see, as the surge protector is used, the, the electronic device that actually does the protection gradually gets used up, and eventually it won't protect anymore. So you want to have that little light on to make certain it still works because the component that actually does the surge protection is a metal oxide varistor, an MOV, and it diverts the extra shortage. So if a surge comes in, it basically shorts the line. But that MOV when it shorts the line gradually becomes dissipated itself. The, au- the you know the insulator becomes dissipated and eventually the MOVs will become inactive and then the light goes out. So the surge protector won't work forever. So make certain that your surge protector is actually working. Yes. We got an email from Feross in Fredericksburg, dear Tech Talk. I tried to take a sunset photo, take sunset photos, and not really been satisfied with the results. Do you have any suggestions for a good sunset photo? Love the show. Brosen Fredericksburg. Well, everyone at some point in their life likes to take a spectacular sunset because they always look beautiful to the eye. Mm-hmm. And frequently, when you take the picture, it's uh, somewhat disappointing. And the <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> yes, and the reason is is that there's a huge range of brightnesses. The sun is extremely bright, mm-hmm. and then the uh, and then the you know the other various beautiful colors that you see surrounding the sun are much less intense and so you've got a huge dynamic range in the photo. So uh, actually you've got to expose for different portions of that image in order to get it right. So if you're a professional, you could bracket, which means that you would take a number of photos at different exposures, different exposure speeds and that you'd expose for the sun and then expose for the background and then for the foreground and you ha- and then after you are completed, with taking those bracketed photos, you would use some post, post-processing post to combine all the photos into one photo, where you'd have all the exposures in one photo, and that's called a high dynamic range photo. Now, the beauty is, you know, you don't have to do all of that fancy stuff if you've got an iPhone, because the iPhone has, will take high dynamic range photos immediately. You can simply request a high dynamic range photo, and it will actually bracket on four different exposures it will then take and combine the four exposures into one photo and you get an HDR photo out directly and it does a pretty good job on sunsets actually I've taken several sunrises actually uh, and um, recently with my with my iPhone and they have looked beautiful I ended up making uh, canvas prints out of them all you have to do is set set up for high dynamic range now You've got to hold the camera very still because you're taking four photos, and those are going to be superimposed on top of each other. So if your camera's moving around, the superposition of the photos won't be quite as good. The photo is not going to look that sharp. So uh, you want to, uh, you know, you might hold a, the iPhone against a, a door frame or something. I mean, most people don't have a tripod for their iPhone, but just sort of stabilize it and make a point to keep it very still and you'll get a great picture of a sunrise or a sunset with your iPhone. Or if you've got a regular digital single-lens reflex, you could you could actually do the bracketing and the post-processing. What? Very, very good
3: question. Which which version of the iPhone was this? Is this all iPhones will do this? or
2: uh, The iPhone 6s and beyond have it. I know. Oh. I'm, I mean, I've got a 6s. And well, it's, I could do it's that. Got it. You could do that, yeah. Mm-hmm. You could do that very easily. I'm not. I can't remember whether the five has it or not. But most people really don't most have. Most normal fives. people have a six. <laughs> most normal people have a six at least because the because as we know the battery dies. You know the planned obsolescence of the Apple product mm-hmm. after so long. You've got to get a new one. We got an email from Macy in San Francisco. Dear Doc and Jim, a neighbor has named his unprotected wireless network. At, with the same name as my network. I immediately changed my network's name and I increased the security level on my network WPA because I'm thinking that my network my, my neighbor had some uh, something he was up to something. because my, now my neighbor's network is a very strong signal, it's unprotected and because I was re, because I previously was logging onto a network of that name, my laptop keeps logging automatically onto his network. And uh, and I and I you know I, until I realized yeah. what was going on. Uh, but I'd feel much safer if I'm on my
3: own network. It almost sounds like he's trying to get her stuff, right? That's right. You know, it,
2: could it be that, that my my, my neighbor is up to something sneaky? Well, it could be. Could be that your neighbor's you know he wants you to inadvertently log onto his network and then he'll he'll hack into your computer because you'll of course not be secured when you're on his network. So what you can, what you want to do first of all, you want to forget his network. So you want to go in when it, when you go to the list of Wi-Fi networks that are on your computer, click on his and say forget this network, and then it won't log on automatically. And then you could tell it to log automatically onto onto uh, onto your network.
3: Well, and you know, the other thing she could do to get rid of the confusion is she could call hers the real whatever the name she's using
2: she could she could do that mm-hmm. but she has to forget his first yes, of all yes exactly and so you could now if if you think your if you think your neighbor's really up to something sneaky you could actually go log into your uh, log into your router and you could say do not broadcast a network name mm-hmm. so no network name is broadcast at all and then but that means that anytime you log into your network you'll have to do it manually so what you would do the first time you'd log into your network without a network name you would simply actually have to physically type in the network name that you know and then put in the password. At that point, it will automatically log into your network without asking you for it again. But your neighbor won't see your actual network name, so in case he's trying to pull some tricky thing on you. And make certain you forget you forget his, his network so you don't log on to it automatically. Now, if your, network's, if your neighbor's really a, uh, 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 you know, uh, a, a computer geek... You can very easily detect the um, the, the the network name because he can simply sniff your network and figure out what 's going on, but i 'm thinking that he 's just a casual hacker and not a not a professional hacker mm-hmm. We got an email from Sophia in Fairfax dear tech talk i 'd like my kids to learn programming they 're all at elementary school now unfortunately i don 't know enough to help them i 'm not a programmer. What resources are available for parents in this area? I love the show Sophia and Fairfax. Well, Sophia, there's a lot of uh, there are a lot of websites that will inter- introduce programming to your kids. They can be fun, and and you can and I think the sooner your kids learn how to begin coding, the better it is because coding is really sort of like learning another language. It's not really that complicated, and if you become familiar with it at a young age, you'll you'll be adept with it later on so i think the sooner the better so here here are uh, four sites that i think are pretty good here are programming tutorials from made with code by google programming tutorials by made with code from made with code by google google's made with code was a project whose mission was to encourage girls to pursue careers in computer science and so they made programming fun in that site. So this is, but this site's really good for both boys and girls, it's just not girls. We got resources for parents from the MIT Media Labs Scratch team. Scratch is one of the most popular coding tools for kids. It's designed to help students with little or no coding experience. The software lets students create animations and stories with building blocks that mimic the structure of computer code. Luckily, the team behind made it, made the software easy for beginners, so you can see program flow and program logic without getting too hung up in program syntax. Then there's Tinker's Hour of Code-Free Activities, <laughs> T-Y-N-K-E-R-S. Tinker's a fun, intuitive site for, of games that makes it easy for kids to learn to implement basic computational thinking and programming skills. Then we've got lessons and tutorials from Code.org, Code.org was launched in 2013 to advocate for wider access to computer science learning in schools and for especially for underrepresented students of color. Then we have computer lessons from the Khan Academy. The Khan Academy self-paced courses introduce a number of fascinating code concepts to kids from learning the basics of computer programming and animation to more complex computer science subjects. These are a perfect way to jump off uh you know jump off for the curious student who wants to learn code so those are really good resources on the web and i would strongly encourage you to get your kids working with them actually sophia you could even work with them and learn a little code yourself you may be able to pick up some money as a part-time programmer mm-hmm. there at home we got an email from wendy in fairfax dear Ado- dear tech talk i'm considering taking an online class and was wondering whether distance education is effective as Traditional classroom delivery, you know, I'm kind of a kind of a traditional person going to class, but this online thing seems so convenient. Enjoy the show. Uh, Wendy and Fairfax. Well, Wendy, that was a good question. We offer both on-ground and online classes at Stratford. And a, an online class, contrary to popular opinion, is actually more difficult because you've, it's got to be self-paced. You have to have discipline. And and you've got to do, you know, a fair amount of homework. You've got to post your homework. There's a, a lot of threaded discussion where you basically can do critical thinking online as you discuss different topics with the uh, students. Or you can also do group work online. And many of the classes with the group work, especially with Adobe Connect, they simulate it's almost like a class. Your group gets together, you can see each other, you can talk. And so if you are disciplined, if you can meet deadlines... An online class is an excellent way to go. Now, what you're missing is the face-to-face interaction. And some people, especially younger students, need that face-to-face interaction as they're growing up. That's why, say, going to college and getting your first college degree no. purely online may not be good because you miss all the socialization. Right, exactly. But if you're, if you're a working professional, you've got all the socialization, you just want to learn the material, an online class is really quite a good option. Listen, we love your emails. You can email indeed. us at Tech Talk at Stratford. and we'll get back to you at the you know, at
3: the next show, or maybe I'll email you immediately if it's an emergency. A tech emergency. That's right. It's Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio. You can hear us here in Washington, D.C. on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2. Find us on the web at stratford.edu, where you can listen to all of our past programs, and also at federalnewsradio.com. Watch us do the show live here every Saturday morning by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech
4: Talk.
0: Ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for career-focused IT degree programs on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in today's most sought-after IT fields with accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you earn your degree faster with demand at record high levels for cybersecurity, digital forensics and networking telecommunications careers now is the time to act stratford makes it easy turning your qualified experience into credits earned and if you're a vet they'll help you maximize your military benefits get complete details and register today at stratford.edu slash 18it that's stratford.edu slash 18it
4: if it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio.
2: Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for
1: Profiles in IT. Yesterday
2: we we're going to feature Dr. Frank S. Green, Jr., Frank S. Green, Jr. is one of the first African-Americans to break the color barrier in Silicon Valley. He was an electronics technology guy, you know, designing silicon. Mm -hmm. He was a venture capitalist, and Mm -hmm. he was an executive at two companies that he started. Quite a a career out there. Green was born October 19, 1938, in Washington, D.C., but he grew up in St. Louis when St. Louis was highly segregated in the 50s. In nineteen sixty one he received a Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering from Washington University in St. Louis. He was in the second class that included black students at the universities. He was one of the, you know, he was one of the sort of the leaders of, you know, of, of the of the movement to integrate Washington University there in St. Louis. Now, he was very much involved with the civil rights movement. He would do go into sit-ins within St. Louis to see if he could integrate places around the school. While he was going to school, he was trying to, you know, they had a lot of kids there they wanted who were now African-American as well as other races. So he wanted to integrate the, the places around the school. One time, Green and his friends went to a pizza joint, and they decided, okay, we're going to go in there, we're going to sit down and, you know, and, and order pizza. And the owner of the pizza joint let them in, invited them in, they sat down. They didn't expect that. And then when they sat down, uh-huh. they didn't have enough money on them to order a pizza. Oops. <laughs> so he said from that day forward, he said he would always be prepared when opportunity came along. Because he said, here's the case, we had an opportunity and we weren't prepared. <laughs> In 1962, he received a Master of Science from, the, from Purdue University. Green was one of the first black cadets to make it through the four-year U.S. Air Force ROTC program. And he graduated in 61. That's when he, while he was actually at um, Washington University, was in the uh, ROTC program. Graduated in 1961. They let him finish his master's degree at Purdue, and then he became an Air Force captain. Now, he served in the U.S. Air Force as an electronics officer for four years. During that time, he helped develop high-performance computers for the NSA, so he's already moving into the into the high-tech computer arena. In 1965, he started as a test engineer at Fairchild Semiconductor. Then he moved to the research and development section where they were designing chips. And if, and if you remember, Fairchild was at the forefront of chip design. This was before Intel was established. And some of the core technologies in chip design were developed at Intel. He worked on the development of a high-speed memory chip. It was the fastest memory chip at the time. He held one of the key patents that allowed Fairchild Semiconductor to be a leader in the field. In 1970, he received his Ph.D. from Santa Clara University. Then he started founding his companies. He, he did all of his work in um, you know chip design, and then he decided to start his own company. In 1971... He, he he founded and was CEO of the Technology Development Corporation, a computer software and technical services company. At the same time he was CEO of this company, he served as assistant chairman of the electrical engineering department at Stanford, and, he's, and he remained at the Stanford job until 1975, and then he just went back and was full-time working at the uh, at CEO of Technology Development Corporation. He built that company up. Until it was uh, over 300 employees with over 30 million in revenue, and in 1985 he took TDC public. He TDC was listed by Black Enterprise as one of the top 100 uh, companies, black 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 owned companies in the in the country. In 1985, after they sold a substantial amount of equity interest to Penn Central. Green launched a second company called Zero One Systems. And this was kind of a spinoff of TDC, and Zero One Systems was set up to sell large-scale scientific computer systems to the government market. Zero One reached $15 million in annual revenue within two years, and he sold it to Sterling Software in 1987. Now, Green remained with, as group president until 1989, and then he moved on. In 1993, he served as the founding partner of the new VISTA Capital Funds, a venture capital fund that focused on minority and women-owned businesses. Green also launched the Go Positive Foundation, which offered scholarship programs with core positive values for high school and college students. Green was inducted into the Silicon Valley Hall of Fame in 2001 and was awarded the Santa Clara University's Distinguished Engineering Alumni Award in 1993. He was an enthusiastic skier, a squash player, and he loved contemporary music, especially the contemporary music that his son played. His son was actually a musician. Mr. Green passed away on December 26, 2009. I, I didn't really get this. He also taught at, uh, at five different universities. Really, He set up a scholarship program for minority students. His passion, his passion was to use education as a way to change the lives of, of, of students, particularly minority students. This is a man who had a purpose, and he was, made great contributions in Silicon Valley and he was missed when he died unexpectedly at age
3: seventy-one.
2: There you go, Frank S. Green.
3: Okay, you have something going on at the university? you Want to tell us about, right?
2: Oh yeah, the uh, university. We've got our next uh, start is February twelfth. We're we're running. Uh, we've been running an ad here today that says that the next starts. January 9th, but mm-hmm. actually that just occurred. Right. So the next starts February 12th. Well,
3: did, you, did you say it was March or is that That's the next mini
2: start. Oh, okay. The the next major start is in it's March February... is is March 19th. So okay. we got we got February start and then a mini start and then a main start in March. So even though it says January 9th, there's still plenty of time to enroll because there's a start just around the corner.
3: Very good. Okay. Excellent. It is Saturday morning and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio 1500 AM. At uh, 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM 2 on the web. You can find us at federalnewsradio.com, stratford.edu. You can listen to the podcast there. And you can actually watch us do the program. Uh, watch us on your device. Download the Periscope app. Follow us at WFED Tech Talk. Stand by. The, the pop quiz is next here on Tech Talk
1: Radio.
0: Ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for career-focused IT degree programs on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in today's most sought-after IT fields with accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you earn your degree faster with demand at record high levels for cybersecurity, digital forensics and networking telecommunications careers now is the time to act stratford makes it easy turning your qualified experience into credits earned and if you're a vet they'll help you maximize your military benefits get complete details and register today at stratford.edu slash 18it that's stratford.edu slash 18it
5: security guard at the front desk featuring mr big voice with musical guest the stratford university junkyard band and your host jim ross thanks good morning and happy easter weekend
3: it is time to play the pop quiz here on tech talk radio we just finished talking about Frank Green, one of the first African Americans to break the color barrier in Silicon Valley. Today's question is very simple.
5: Where was Frank Green born? If you know the answer to today's question, please put down your Easter eggs. Pick up the phone and call us now. Dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. If you're calling from your Easter hideaway in Playa del Church, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If your Easter eggs are lost in the snow in Canada, call us on the Wild Card line, 877-936-9333. And if there's a payphone at your local pizza hangout, dial us on the international line, 877-936-39333.
2: Wireless charging is everywhere. You see, the uh, the Android devices we, we use the um, Qi wireless standard. Mm-hmm. That's called that's Q-I, and it's pronounced Qi. The Qi wireless standard, and, you know, it was nobody paid much attention to it. But then the iPhone also supported the Chi wireless standard. So now it's both Android and iPhone. So the Qi wireless standard is going to dominate everywhere. So once the standard was really set, there are all kinds of wireless charging devices everywhere. So that is one trend that you can see all over the Computer Electronics Show. Also, the all-in-one voice assistant has arrived big time. Remember last year, Amazon's Echo, they had Amazon, they had um, Alexa built into all these devices. This year was Google's turn to be built into devices. So Google has all of their voice assistants built into all kinds of devices like uh, Lenovo devices, LG devices, Sony devices. you got smart displays. You can have cooking recipes, all sorts of stuff. So now you've got the big competition between Google and Amazon on the all-in-one voice assistants, and that integration is just everywhere. Virtual reality, it looks like it's ready for prime time. It's looking pretty good. Virtual reality headsets are back at the Computer Electronics Show, and, this, and they're just a lot better. HTC showed off its Viva Pro. It's an upgraded version of their first VR headset. Google and Lenovo are releasing a standalone VR headset powered by Google Daydream VR platform. So that is, so if, you, if you want to buy a virtual reality headset, this is probably the time to do it. They've finally gone prime time. Now, you guys that just bought your 4K TV, you're so proud that you got the latest and greatest? Well, now it's outdated. Now there's 8K. <laughs> of course. So the, the, so the 8K TVs, was, were, uh, their LG showed off an 8K concept television. It's 88 inches wide
3: uh-huh. and
2: houses 3D, 33 million pixels, picture elements. So... So, uh, now it'll be a while before there's any 8K content. We're just now just getting 4K content. So, I really wouldn't wait to buy your mon- buy your TV if you want a new TV. I wouldn't wait for the 8K. I'd just go ahead and get the 4K. Because by the time there's 8K content, you'll be ready to replace your 4K. There's a, There's about a... You know, about a three-year life cycle on that.
3: You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2 and 1039 FM HD 2.
1: If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
0: Ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for career-focused IT degree programs on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in today's most sought-after IT fields with accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you earn your degree faster with demand at record high levels for cybersecurity, digital forensics and networking telecommunications careers now is the time to act stratford makes it easy turning your qualified experience into credits earned and if you're a vet they'll help you maximize your military benefits get complete details and register today at stratford.edu slash 18it that's stratford.edu slash 18it If it's
4: technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio.
3: Welcome back to the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University. This is Tech Talk Radio.
4: Most
2: modern commercial cereal foods were created in America by the Seven Day Adventists. I had no idea. <laughs> it's really, uh, you know, how'd that different. happen? Now the Adventists formed a Western Health Reform Institute in the eighteen sixties, and this particular institute, in terms of health reform, was focusing on high fiber foods. Mm-hmm. They really, and it also there were
3: t- I guess it was trends feeling toward, a need or something. There
2: were trends toward vegetarianism too, because they, you know, people were just eating lots of meat. Not much in fiber, and they want and they and they thought to be safe. You needed a high fiber. Now the Western Health Reform Institute was renamed the Battle Creek Sanitarium after its location in Battle Creek, Michigan.
3: Well, the sanitarium part doesn't give me a warm and fuzzy feeling, no. though, you know.
2: Now, see that's why all the cereals are manufactured in Battle Creek, right. Michigan. Well, that's where Kellogg's is. That's right. Now the now the Adventists manufactured, promoted, and sold wholesome cereals. Now it was either cereal or grain, uh, which a cereal or a grain. It's really a member of the grass family. Actually, it's the seed of the grass mm-hmm. family, and that you want starchy seeds. Common cereals are wheat, rice, rye, oats, barley, corn, sorghum. Now in eight in 1994, Will Keith Kellogg was trying to improve the diet of his hospital patients. So he actually was working with wheat. He let it soak overnight. It was boiling, and he let it He let it boil too long. It got softened, and then he, sort of by mistake, then he smashed it out, and then he let it dry,
3: and he kind of ended up with, with thin flakes, uh-huh. which, which became cornflakes. Uh, so many things have been developed and invented by mistake. And so,
2: and so he, had, he the, had developed cornflakes. Now he was working actually. I was I was looking up. There was another guy that he that he was working with in the in the uh, in the hospital. C. W. Post.
3: Mm-hmm. That was another other, guy. Well, they're still there. Kellogg's and Post they're, are still there. they Are still there.
2: And this other guy was working on uh, on ties for the in the same hospital. So they were kind of friends, and they ultimately became big
3: competitors. My cornflakes is you know, better than there, your cornflakes.
2: There, there was another guy at the same time that was that was that was, that was uh, pushing whole wheat. Mm-hmm. uh for uh you know to to increase roughage at the time and so he started making a cracker made out of whole wheat and this guy's name was Graham mm-hmm. that's where the, the, graham, graham the graham cracker came from that's right kellogg received a med his md is his, his doctor degree from bellevue medical hospital in new york city in 1875 will keith kellogg founded battle creek toasted corn flake <laughs> company in 1906 That eventually became the Kellogg Company for short, and they invented Rice Krispies
3: in 19... Twenty nine, And without that, we wouldn't have the Rice Krispie so Treat. that's
2: all you want to know about cereal, and it was all based on the need for fiber.
3: And it's pretty funny that the need for fiber and the need for healthy foods begat such things as Count Chocula and Frankenberry. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> Which are lo- nothing but sugar, when you think about it. There's nothing healthy ab- about See, that it at See, that was
2: all. a later development, uh-huh. adding sugar yeah. to the cereal. Uh-huh. I don't think that was such a good It'd thing. make it taste better. No, that was yeah. not a good thing at all.
3: You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, and 1039 FM HD 2.
1: If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
0: Ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for career-focused IT degree programs on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in today's most sought-after IT fields. With accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you earn your degree faster with demand at record high levels for cybersecurity, digital forensics and networking telecommunications careers now is the time to act stratford makes it easy turning your qualified experience into credits earned and if you're a vet they'll help you maximize your military benefits get complete details and register today at stratford.edu slash 18it that's stratford.edu slash 18it Ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for career-focused IT degree programs on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in today's most sought-after IT fields with accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you earn your degree faster with demand at record high levels for cybersecurity, digital forensics and networking telecommunications careers now is the time to act stratford makes it easy turning your qualified experience into credits earned and if you're a vet they'll help you maximize your military benefits get complete details and register today at stratford.edu slash 18it that's stratford.edu slash 18it
4: if it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Shirts of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio.
2: Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. The Supreme Court is going to review the Internet sales tax. Here we go. Yeah. Now, the Supreme Court is going to consider letting states and local governments collect billions of dollars in sales tax from online retailers after agreeing to revisit a 26-year-old ruling that made much of the Internet a tax-free zone. Mm -hmm. Online retailers like Wayfair, Overstock.com, Newegg, are opposing the South Dakota court fight each collects sales taxes from customers only in some states. Now, the Supreme Court's 1992 decision, which was Quill versus North Dakota, involved a mail-order company, and it said that retailers can be forced to collect taxes only in states where the company has a physical presence. So if an online retailer does not have a storeroom or distribution site in a state, and they just ship the stuff to the state, the state cannot collect the income taxes. Now, South Dakota didn't, didn't, didn't really like that decision, so they changed the law. And in, and in 2016, they changed the law where they require retailers with more than $100,000 in annual sales in the state to pay 4.5% tax on purchases. So they basically passed a law. Even if you don't have a physical presence, if you have more than 100000 in sales, you have to pay sales tax. Hmm. Soon after enacting the law, the state filed a suit and asked the court to declare the measure constitutional. So they were challenging the Quill versus North Dakota ruling. Those supporting South Dakota in the high court, of course, would be the other states. Right. The other 35 states, as well as lawmakers who say they've been trying to get Congress to act on this for years. Actually, Amazon backs a, a nationwide approach because uh, they are already they already collect sales tax from all the states because they have a physical presence in almost every state because of their distribution centers. I mean, 15 years ago or so, they, they didn't have a physical presence, so they – They didn't pay sales tax uh, in all the states, but now they do, and they just as soon have a uniform system. Mm -hmm. So everybody's watching this because they're trying to level the playing field between the online retailers that are just, you know, eating the lunch of the brick-and-mortars. Yep, yep. The next-generation Wi-Fi is finally coming. Finally. The Wi-Fi Alliance said in a statement that, you know, at the, they did this at, at the opening of the of the Consumer Electronics Show, that the new generation of Wi-Fi-protected access, access encryption is here. It's called WPA3, and it would harden the connection between the user devices and the Wi-Fi routers. The current standard, WPA2, has been around for almost 15 years. You know, it's, it's amazing it's been yeah. around that long, 15 years, and it's been remarkably robust until the discovery of CRACK. K R A C K the the crack vulnerability back in October, which basically uh, allows people to use key replacement techniques to sort of um, get multiple copies of the key and then uh, multiple copies of the of the encrypted code and then they can actually calculate the key. It's a it's a um, it's a it's a vulnerability in the handshake. uh, in 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 the in the four-step handshake that, that Wpa2 had so the alliance disclosed they, they didn't disclose the full technical specifics but they said it will protect against crack by default it'll also be easier to set up devices screenless devices like smartwatches, connected home systems smart thermostats and refrigerators so you you it's easier to basically you know encode the password uh, it will also um, Help. Uh, it'll even protect users who choose simple passwords. That, passwords that are easier that are easy to guess by by making it more complicated. By the time it uh, encrypts it, now finally, it's going to make it harder for you to snoop on these public Wi-Fi hotspots. You know, they, like if, right now with WPA2, if you log on at uh, say Starbucks and you don't use a uh, a VPN, people can people can sniff what you and They can get your passwords and everything. What they're doing now is with the new standard WPA3, it's going to set up an encrypted data channel for each individual user on an open network. So that sort of vulnerability will go away. That's really a big development. So the problem is, in order to implement WPA3, you're going to have to get a new Wi-Fi router. Lovely. You know, so it's going to be, it's going to give the vendors more opportunity to sell you lots of equipment. Hundreds of smartphones are spying on you. I thought something was watching me. I know. The New York Times reported late December that hundreds of apps have been found snooping on their users with the built-in microphone on smartphones. Mm. Specifically, these apps are listening for TV show broadcasts, commercials, even movies that you watch in a theater. They amass information on the kinds of things you like to watch. The third-party software company called Alfonso (laughs) has embedded their software into many apps. Uh, that many apps that are available for free. And, of course, Alfonso pays the app developer every time their Alfonso software is downloaded. It's all about advertising. Marketing firms want to know who watches certain TV shows, who watches certain movies, who wants to do this and that. And the purpose is to make you buy more stuff and to make the data that they collect very valuable. But people don't like this. Because this data is being collected on you, you don't even know it. it the app, you, you might even think your phone, no, the app is not even open, but it's still collecting data. Because what? on the position, you know, you can, in the configuration, you can say, make the microphone available right. only when the app is open or any time. Uh-huh. And what they're doing is they're letting the microphone be open anytime. Oh, wow. even when the app's not open. Now, you can actually go in, and, you can, uh, and you, can, you can deal with this. A, if you've got apps that you don't use or don't want, just uninstall them. Just mm-hmm. get rid of them. Mm-hmm. You can also keep it on your permissions. You know, there's a privacy section, and you can look at who has the right to connect to your microphone. And you can actually turn off microphone rights. I'd also turn off camera rights. You might want to turn off rights to your contacts. I mean, these got these apps want to want to get as control of as, as much data as they can, and if there's no reason for them to have your microphone, your camera, your contacts, just just turn all of those off.
3: Very Orwellian, is it not? It's
2: very, and it's it actually is it actually is is a bit of a problem.
3: It's- it's frightening you know like Google Maps if I look up an address on Google Maps on a, a, a PC and then I go to my phone that 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 information is on my phone it's it's on the phone it's, and yeah. they
2: and they and the thing is they can link all of this stuff together they can link it back to your search account so they'll ultimately tie it back to you and they've got a very detailed profile of everything you do mm-hmm. I mean, you know, even the uh, even the navigation apps, you know, there's that GPS data. Yeah. So do you want apps to have access to GPS? So they know exactly where you've been. They know what movies you watch. They know everything. So, nope. So you so the configuration of the apps is extremely important and just shouldn't be blown off. And uh, and if you if there's an app you don't really use or want, just get rid of it. Yeah. Let's talk about the Apple battery replacement program. Okay. Okay, there was a huge controversy when it was discovered that Apple, when they would do operation system updates, they would slow down older phones. Right. Now, and so people would have a phone, and all of a sudden it would be slower and slower and slower and slower, and they were actually slowing down the phone. And then, of course, when your phone is so slow, you just want to upgrade to a, to, you know, to a new version. That, and so people were extremely upset. And what Apple said, they said, look, we're just trying to take care of our customers because as the battery degrades, uh, it will actually discharge faster. So instead of your battery lasting, say, eight hours, it will only last three hours. Mm -hmm. So what they do, instead of giving you the choice of having maximum performance for three hours, they give you... 50% 50% performance for 6 hours so they cut down the performance they cut down the the CPU speed they, they they cut down all the performance uh factors in the phone so that the battery would last longer but they but they didn't give the uh you know the user the opportunity for that and you know many times it, p- people just don't like a slow phone yeah, they, sure. they would rather have a short battery life than a slow phone well apple received a huge backlash they're actually class action lawsuits I'm against not surprised. Them. it 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 was felt that like they did really did not have the best interest of the consumer at at heart and because obviously this wants you to upgrade the phone so apple came out with a battery replacement program which is pretty good they'll replace any battery for $29 dollars
3: mm-hmm. that's not you, bad
2: no it's i mean that you know that's a lot cheaper. but, but you're
3: going to wind up you're going to have you're not you, you, can you just go to the apple store and get it done or you
2: you go to the apple store you make and an appointment
3: and they can do it right there
2: you get an appointment you can do it right there they they made this offer available it was so huge demand they just they were over their stores were overrun they ran out of batteries of course they did. and so that and so now you know if you've got a 6s but what they're now saying is that you can't get your like your 6s battery replaced until march or april okay they initially said we'll replace the battery uh, until the end of january but then they couldn't meet the demand, so now they said they'll that you can the battery replacement op, uh, uh, offer is available till the end of 2018. Mm-hmm. So it's plenty of time to replace the battery. So I'm telling you, take your phone in, even if the battery is passes the test, they'll still replace it for twenty nine dollars. But you may have to leave your phone there for a couple days.
3: Thanks for joining us this week for Tech Talk Radio. Heard every Saturday at nine on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, and 1039 FM HD 2, and on the web at federalnewsradio.com. Learn more about us and hear all of our past programs by going to stratford.edu, scroll to the bottom of the page, and click on the Tech Talk icon. You can watch us do the show live every Saturday by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. Tech Talk is a production of Stratford University and Dr. Richard Schertz.
0: Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.